You are tuned into a Heads and Tails NFL Injury Report, where each week we discuss the latest injuries and sports health buzz surrounding the league in an attempt to make football safer to play at all levels. Dr. Wazim Bush provides expert medical insight, while my buddy Josh Boyd keeps us up to date on all current events and provides play-by-play analysis. And my name is Kevin Som, and I provide the perspective of a former player with a passion for changing a football culture that nearly took my life. If this is your first time to the show, I recommend checking out some of the athlete and expert interviews that we have previously published on this podcast. For detailed show notes and videos from this episode, go to headsandtails.org backslash injury reports. Welcome back to an all-new season of the Heads and Tails Injury Report. Uh, we're currently in the 2018 season, and I'm Kevin Som, uh, obviously the host of the Heads and Tails podcast, and I'm here with my co-host from last year, Josh Boyd. I'm Josh. back. I'm back. Back in the New York groove, I guess you could say. But we have uh, an unfamiliar face to the the listeners out there, and that is Dr. Wazim Bush. And uh, Waz and I have been friends for a while now, and he's going to provide some medical insight into the injuries that come up this year. So we're excited to have him uh, on the team. So Waz, you want to say hi to the, the peeps? Well, really happy to be here. Thanks, gentlemen, for having me on this uh, cast with you guys. Looking forward to uh, a great season with you. Perfect. Very uh, politically said. It's like I was like a, a reporter after this, the game. This is exactly how I want it to be. All right. Perfect. Um, still adjusting these sound levels here. You know, I just want it to, to be perfect here. So, okay. We're going to start off today uh, with going through some of the notable comebacks from last year's injuries. Uh, we'll briefly touch on what those injuries were, what the expected outcome should be, uh, and, you know, We'll go from there. But the bulk of our conversation is going to come from the new helmet rule, which if you're a football fan, you've obviously heard all about this, and you've probably heard more than enough about this, and you don't even want to hear about it anymore, but too bad because we're going to talk about it. Uh, So just to start things off, we'll go to the notable comebacks, uh, starting with Arizona Cardinals running back David Johnson, um, who was out for last season after dislocating his wrist. So, Waz, you got anything to say about that? Sure. David Johnson, thank you for ruining my fantasy season last year and many others like me, uh, prompting me to change my fantasy team name to Worse Than the Madden Curse. And uh, David is currently and hopefully has fully recovered from a dislocated wrist. Um, And the mechanism for which he uh, did this was he fell on an outstretched hand uh, during the game. he, you know, length of recovery is usually about two to three months if there's no uh, surgery, but he had surgery to repair everything and he should be full go. Um, he, you know, usually if you dislocate the, the hand, you'll have a uh, uh, deficit in your grip strength. And uh, it looks like from preseason, he's pretty good to go. All right. Uh Aaron Rodgers, discount double check. Green Bay Packers, what about his broken collarbone? Should we expect any anything less than perfection out of him? Aaron is uh, fully recovered from this. Uh, even from last year, he had uh, gotten back in the game a couple weeks after. A little um, too late, though. <laughs> well, one week. Yeah, a one Pittsburgh week. loss. <laughs> Did um, oh, my God. Uh, don't even remind me. But... Uh, he has uh, fully recovered from this. Um, usually, broken collarbones will affect your throwing motion and strength, um, but A.A. Ron is doing pretty good. All right. Then we got Houston, Texas quarterback Deshaun Watson with a torn ACL last year. 
So torn ACLs, you know, most of these are non-contact injuries, but uh, um, you'll typically hear that uh, for most of the athletes that are that are uh, um, uh, suffering these these types of injuries. Um, it's kind of like a broken seatbelt in the knee, you know, it, it, it keeps you from translating uh, or moving your, uh, thigh bone, um, uh, forward from the tibia. Um, recovery is usually about nine to 12 months. Uh, you do lose some explosion. And the biggest thing here is a fear factor of re-tearing. So it'll be interesting to see how, uh, Deshaun, uh, uh, recovers from this and, and approaches the season. All right, then we got another ACL uh, with uh, Dalvin Cook, uh, running back for the Minnesota Vikings. Similar, similar story here, uh, guys. Um, Dalvin, he's going to be looking at the same thing. It's going to be a loss of loss of explosion, that speed, the cutting ability, those types of things. Um, it's mainly going to be the whole fear factor of just uh, giving it full go without injuring it again. All right. And we got, I think we got one more ACL in here. And then two we'll, more ACLs. I think we got two, two more ACLs. Okay, so we'll get up the ACLs and then we'll uh, move on to different injuries. Uh, we got wide receiver Julian Edelman. Edelman, similar story. We'll see after that four-game suspension how he deals with that, but he's got some extra recovery time. I think, though, that Julian is actually going to be coming a little bit um, sooner back from his injury as compared to the other gentleman. Um, typically, like I said, nine to 12 months of recovery, but these guys are freaks of nature. Yeah. They put the work in. You got anything to say about the suspension, Josh? Uh, it was PDs. They don't really go into it more than just that. So okay. they, they're not required to, uh, specify what specifically it was that like pops it up and does the failed test. They just blanket under a substance All right. P PED. So um, they always come out and say they didn't know and they're taking something and they didn't know. But So that's what he said. Our last and most probably high-profile ACL of last year and also the weirdest torn ACL mechanism of injury I've ever seen yeah. uh, with uh, Carson Wentz, quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles. Well, this one was definitely traumatic, gentlemen. Uh, he uh, launched himself into the end zone and was hit from the side. I think not only did he tear the ACL, but I think he had injured his MCL as well in this uh, this actual injury. Um, with that, the MCL uh, is definitely uh, very important for cutting ability as well. He looks good in preseason and during the practices. Uh, however, you can see that there's some uncertainty with him. So again, that fear factor is very apparent there. Um, It'll be interesting to see him. I think he will will do pretty well from this. Okay. Yes, just with the Carson Wentz. So he's out of all the all the ACLs, he was the latest latest in the season. So yeah. I think it was first week in December. So that's December, January, February, March, April, May, June, July, August. So it's nine months full nine full months um, since this has happened. So they already have said that he's not he's not starting. So the Eagles, since they won the Super Bowl, they play Thursday night, so the first game of the season. They've already said that he's not playing um, the first week of the season, and he hasn't been cleared for contact yet by their team doctors, whichever that means. So it is, uh, it's, it's unclear how much time he'll miss this season. Um, it seemed to, people seemed to think he was going to play from the beginning of the season um, just because the Eagles kind of didn't say anything otherwise. And he had been practicing the majority of uh, the preseason, um, but he never 
w- did anything further than just practice. So, um, like I said, it will be interesting to see um, how many games he does miss and kind of what that timetable is um, once he starts playing his first game. And especially like the, like all these other guys have had preseason games that they've played on, um, especially the ACLs that they've been able to play. Absolutely. Um, and it's uh, even with the preseason, it's just a touch of a different speed. Yeah. So when Carson Wentz steps on the field for the first time since he does his ACL it'll be at 100% full speed in a real regular season game um, so there's reports have came out now that it's going to be week 4 or 5 ish beginning of October but I don't think that was really based on anything so we'll see yeah but, and if you guys noticed he had that huge brace on uh, throughout the entire uh, preseason as you were seeing any kind of footage with him um, he did look pretty decent with his ability to, to kind of drop back and uh, move side to side in there so um, again, that fear factor of injury and the whole um, uh, uh, medical team kind of uh, keeping a close eye on him. Yeah, those ACL braces, even like preventative ACL braces, are pretty popular in the college game. Like almost all the quarterbacks wear them. I think Carson Wentz is a more mobile, more on the mobile side of quarterbacks, so maybe he chose not to wear one uh, in the NFL. But I mean, most NFL quarterbacks don't wear a preventative ACL brace. So until something happens, like we saw Flacco a couple of times last year that, cause he was wearing it last year after he, he did his ACL. Um, and you saw a couple of times where he would slide right baseball slide on it and get it all messed up. And it looked like he tore his leg in half, but it really just broke his brace. <laughs> uh, another injury, which I feel like has kind of fallen off the radar for a while. I don't know. It's cause he's doing all that stuff with, uh, raising funds for Houston, but J.J. Watt, uh, defensive end for the Houston Texans with a pretty serious knee injury and uncommon knee injury. Yeah, guys, this was a really, really serious uh, uh, knee injury, a tibial plateau fracture. Um, So a lot of the times the uh, tibial plateau on the inside of it, that's the major weight-bearing portion of the leg. Um, It bears about 60% of the knee's actual weight. and, you know, as a lineman and defensive line uh, guy, defensive end, he's got to be able to drive off that leg. He's got to be able to push off and, and drive the lineman back. It's going to limit his speed, his power. Um, but he, as as any of these guys, he's probably the biggest freak out of all of them. So wouldn't be surprised if he's, you know, mowing people down and getting some sacks. But he's going to be limited. He He won't be the same uh jj watt that you're used to okay yeah i mean i saw him that he was like doing all the drills with defensive linemen it seems like he's going like full go so Mm -hmm. it'd be interesting to see where he's at this season uh now we have some injury updates on some serious injuries uh and all those life-threatening injuries uh from last season we'll start off with pittsburgh steelers linebacker ryan shazier um he had a spinal stabilization surgery and a lot of people are saying that this new helmet role is largely due to uh this injury so what are your thoughts uh was on uh this injury and his prospects for making a comeback so very serious injury um at this point even if ryan wanted to come back i don't think that there's going to be a doc that clears him to come back uh you know these types of injuries if you get a second one we're talking about catastrophic events, uh, life events for you. Um, not only paralysis, uh, you know, you can be from the leg down, you can be paralyzed from the neck down. So 
you know, he, he'd be very hard-pressed to find somebody that's going to clear him to get him back into there. Inspiring story of him being able to walk and doing the things that he's doing. Um, but uh, unfortunately, I do believe his career is over. Yeah, and I saw some videos of him walking across the field uh, at practice recently. Uh, so at least, I mean, he's made a significant comeback uh, in, in that regard. I'm sure he's happy about that. Um, did, did the Pittsburgh Steelers sign him to like another year? I think so. Or extend I mean, his, yeah. his contract. Yeah, I mean, he's going to be he's going to be involved with them for forever. Yeah, regardless of like a Legrand that Rutgers. Yeah, yeah. pretty yeah. much. Um, basically, just like the quick timeline, it went from a couple months after him being able to just like stand up on his own from his wheelchair, um, and then at the draft he walked out on the podium with an assistance of a cane, but without any assistance from anybody else. Um, on his own and then uh, in training camp and in practices he's been walking on his own without a cane um, and he's got a pretty good gait to it it's not a very right it's a, it looks like a <laughs> very gingerly walk obviously yeah. but uh, it is um, slowly progressing at least from a quality of life standpoint not yeah and it's injuries like standpoint. this like like ryan's uh that this is the reason why we started this podcast or this aspect of the podcast to talk about these injuries and talk about how we can prevent them and it's cool to see that it does seem like the nfl is taking steps to really try to prevent this from happening to um, other people these are life-changing things uh, another injury that we have from last year that was life-threatening was uh tight end zach miller from the chicago bears uh, he had a, it was a dislocated, dislocated knee. knee. Yeah. yeah. So uh, Zach uh, had a dislocated knee with uh, with injury to the main blood vessels behind the knee. Um, and because of that, there was thought that he could potentially lose his leg. You know, doctors and surgeons uh, acted really quickly to, to uh, stabilize that artery. And because of that, um, they were able to save his leg. You know, his, his injury is very similar to Teddy Bridgewater. Um, you know, it's pretty much the exact same injury. I mean, they destroyed pretty much all the ligaments in their knees, um, and they both uh, injured that artery um, behind the knee. Um, you know, Teddy took about two years to, to return, and, and, you know, he's he's defied the odds. This is one of those uh, potential career-ending injuries. And But if Teddy can do it, there's a possibility for... for uh, for Zach as well. I do believe Zach is a little bit older than Teddy, so, you know, Father Time might be a little bit against them. So Not as forgiving. Yeah. yeah. And they already put him on season-ending. This season and yeah. this year season. Ending. So he's not playing this year. But they all, signed so. him. Didn't they sign yeah. it to a new deal? Yes. Yeah. yeah. You know, when we, when we see all of... It's that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. When you, when you see all these injuries, the things that people think about is, okay, they're injured and... They're going to get right back into it. What they don't see is the simple fact of how quickly people's muscles atrophy and how hard the recovery is to just build back the strength and, and the muscle bulk that these guys uh, have in their bodies um, to get them back to playing form. Right. So yeah, it's not just like fixing the joint or fixing the artery. There's like a lot, so much more that goes into oh, it. Absolutely. Right? Uh, okay. And then we're going to finish this part of the podcast with some... Uh, pre major preseason injuries, uh, starting with uh, Jackson Jaguars, Jacksonville Jaguars uh, wide receiver Marquise Lee. 
Marquise uh, tore his ACL as well, um, I believe. And that it's was official. Our, I, the only thing that I saw was like ligament damage. I didn't see like an official ACL diagnosis. Yeah, I believe it's officially ACL. And uh, again, you know, this is going to be an interesting topic because, you know, it, it brings up the whole helmet rule um, issue. Uh, right, because he blamed the helmet, the new helmet rule on his injury. Absolutely. And again, this is kind of similar to how Carson Wentz kind of uh, uh, had his injury whereby he suffered a little bit of a, uh, a traumatic event to the side of the knee. Um, and it just kind of went flailing and limp if you see the replays. Um, so the stability of the knee is gone and, uh, he's going to be lost for the season, unfortunately. So, um, do not draft Marquise Lee. Yeah, too bad if you already did, I guess, if you had an <laughs> early draft. Um, but yeah, I mean, before we get into the ACL, you know, we'll we'll hold off until we uh, get into the helmet rule before we start talking if we believe that this injury was really a, a result of the new helmet rule. Uh, then another ACL injury is the Washington Redskins running back um, Darius Geis. Is that how you say it? Juice. Juice? Geis? Geis? I think it's Geis. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we've talked a lot about ACLs. Uh, at least it's early in the season. And he'll be ready for next year, it sounds yeah. like. so. You know, if you've got a keeper league, maybe you want to draft him. You know, uh, take him as a f- last round pick or whatnot, and you can hold on to him and stash him. Um, he's going to be good to go, and he looked pretty exciting in, in what we saw, just the brief uh, uh, brevity of, of his play. All right. We ready to move on to the, the big one, the, the new rules for 2018. For a whole of the preseason, there wasn't too many big-time injuries, which is, a, I yeah. guess, a positive. It's just a couple ACLs, like no quarterbacks. And granted, I feel like every year teams are playing their guys less right. and less yeah. and less, at least like the superstar guys. So, yeah. I mean, there are going to guys going to get hurt. but I was looking at the injury report, and it's not that there weren't a lot of injuries. There's not a lot of injuries to guys that you hear that you know. You've heard of. Yeah, yeah there's like there's still a ton of injuries. Yeah. But yeah. You go back 15, 20 years, I mean, the majority of starters played – not not the all all game, but they played every game of the preseason for yeah. at least some some point of the time. And that and that third game that is the dry dress rehearsal that everybody uses now. Like Roethlisberger played three drives. He played like twelve minutes. Yeah. You know, like like I said, fifteen twenty years ago, those first teamers are playing three three full quarters. Absolutely. Um. So I, I, that's probably has a little bit to do of um. The, the lack of names, big names getting hurt, but that's but that's a good thing for it's a good thing for the teams and it's a good thing for the NFL. I think a lot of teams have um, transitioned into the thought that I'd rather have my guys, their guys, work off a little bit of rust the first week, two weeks of the season, than not have them at all. Right, and I actually just uh, posted an interview with my uh, high school math teacher, and he's now an AD at Chatham High School, Bill Labrera, and we were talking about the same thing about this kind of like paradigm shift that's beginning to happen in all all levels of sport and that's kind of the idea that like more isn't always better and that less is is, you know and being ready for the long run and saving yourself you know early on the season is becoming more an acceptable thing Um, as opposed to like taking your licks in the preseason to like toughen you up for the rest of the season like that mentality doesn't really you know hold anymore there's a huge financial benefit and aspect to things right where am i going to get the most bang for my buck with my star players am i going to lose them and risk injury and in games that really don't necessarily matter or am i going to play them when it when it it really comes down to it you know right and it seems like they're holding off so Mm -hmm. i'll i'll start off by kind of 
reading, you know, what the definition of this helmet rule is, and then I'll go into the more fine, you know, more details uh, after that. So the rule is basically, it's a foul if a player lowers his head to initiate and make contact with his helmet against an opponent. So I guess going dig or diving deeper into this rule, um, lowering the head uh, not to include bracing uh, for contact. Uh, that's my dad calling. <laughs> Your favorites go through even on Do Not Disturb. Uh, initiating contact with the helmet to any part of an opponent. Contact does not have to be an opponent's uh, head or neck area. Lowering the head and initiating contact to an opponent's torso, hips, and lower body is also a foul, which kind of goes back to that Marquise uh, Lee injury. Uh, making contact on an opponent, uh, both offense and defense, so they're still keeping the offense, uh, taking the, the offense into account on this one. Uh, and then in terms of the penalty becoming ejectable or making these players who commit this foul an ejectable crime, I guess you could say, is if the player lowers his helmet to establish a linear body posture prior to initiating and making contact with the helmet. So it's like uh, launching. So if you launch yourself and leave your feet, that's an ejectable uh, penalty. And then uh, the player delivering the blow had an unobstructed path to his opponent and the contact was clearly avoidable. And this rule is in place after the Devonte Adams uh, concussion from last year where he was kind of held up and, you know, I forget who it was exactly, but he just teed off on him uh, while one of his teammates was kind of holding him down. Uh, Reading reading these rules, I just I, I just immediately get a picture of a scene from the replacements where everybody's like throwing drop kicks and the refs just throwing penalties and all you hear is, you know, uh, penalty on and he reads off every every number of every offensive player on there. right because it, it, it's like a football play <laughs> or what used to be considered just a standard football play. So, um, what are and this this penalty has been called. 51 times in the first two weeks of the preseason of this year and only 20 calls in the second weeks of the preseason. Uh, and I really recommend the listeners to go on to headsandtails.org to find the show notes for this episode because a lot of the things that we talk about, we have examples of hits that were uh, penalized in the preseason. Uh, NFL Operations has done a great job of really explaining the rules via video. Uh using game footage uh, to really explain like what's going to be a penalty and what's not going to be a penalty. Uh, so Josh, what are your, your thoughts on, on this rule? So this is try to keep this somewhat brief because there's a lot of different ways you can, we can go about this, but the rule itself is, what is it like a sentence that like one to two sentences? It's very, it's, it's very brief. Right. Um, and it seems on the surface to be very straightforward. Um, but the more, I don't know, the more you think about it and the more you see how it's being called and um, almost how they're changing the verbiage of it or the 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 meanings behind it almost to how they want it to be called. Um, basically, to me, the rule that they wrote is the perfect wording um, for the NFL to portray itself as taking the right steps in the right directions in terms of player safety. Um, and that's kind of what we talked about in the off season podcast that we did. Um, 
that it was very easy for them to put this on paper at this point when no games were uh, taking place, right? Um, and like you said, it would, when it came down to it, through four weeks of this preseason, it came down to about one penalty per game for this uh, lowering the helmet call. Um, to me, the difference came where, like you said, 50, it was called 50, 50 one time, 50 or so times for the first two weeks. Um, and then they had a, the competition com- committee and the owners had a meeting where they didn't technically, they didn't make any changes to the rule. So they didn't change how the rule is written or, um, but they added the caveat that any inadvertent contact is not a penalty. Right. Um, so that means, um, it's up to interpretation. It, mm-hmm. Yeah. So it puts it back from originally being, if you lower your head, it's a foul to now being okay. If you lower your head, but, it's within the course of maybe a, a more football-like play and it's not your intent to lead with your head, then it's not a penalty anymore. And it, it, to me, it was just, okay, so the NFL got, her, got around the table and was like, how can we, what can we say without changing the rule to give us an out to not have to call as many penalties as we've been calling? And that was kind of my worry that I voiced from the beginning. Like, if you just go by the letter of the law, you can call this probably four or five times a game. Um, and just watching, I didn't watch a ton of preseason, but there was times in the preseason where um, you would see it called when it was right, in my opinion. You would see it called when I didn't think it was right, and then you wouldn't see it called when I think it should have been called. Um, because in the course of football tackles, there are, the head and the body gets lowered a tremendous amount um, and based on the position of the referee where they are in the field and the angle that they're looking at the play um, there's a lot of times where it looks like a guy is leading maybe leading with his head because of, of course he's technically the head is the closest thing to the guy he's tackling but if it's a little off to the side and he's not aiming and his his, his target zone is right and he's aiming for his head to be off to the side um, that's probably a perfect form tackle but um, in a split second, if something changes, now he is leading with his head, and now it could be called a foul. Um, so it's just there's a lot of good examples of penalties that should be called that if it's taken out of the game, it'll be great. Um, there's also examples where of penalties that have been called that, um, and it's this is probably a lower number, but it's the ones that get the most attention, right? So, um, and this is my fear for the regular season, where there's going to be penalties that are called that are are wrong. They're just they're just going to be wrong. But with it being a 15-yard penalty, it's going to impact who wins and loses games. And when that happens, even though um, the number of those wrong calls are probably going to be significantly less from a percentage standpoint, if they impact the outcome of a game, people and Twitter will lose their crap about um, the NFL wussifying the game and it not being football and they should just go to touch and all that stuff. Um, so that's, that's kind of my worry just because it's so fast that there's going to be times where from the referee's perspective, it looks like, looks like you're leading with your head, but you made a perfectly good form tackle. Right. Guys though, you know, from a player standpoint too, what kind of flexibility classes are you going to have to take to do this? You know, anatomically, you're going to look like a baby T-Rex. You're trying to get down low and then trying to arch your head up back. And, and, and I dare you, I dare you to bend down, bend over, and then try to arch your head up again and see what kind of impact you're going to have trying to tackle a 250 pound man coming at you. Right. right? 
Yeah, and this is kind of what we we, we talked about this a little bit before before the show, but um, the biggest thing is it it gives you this the new rule gives you no wiggle room for the defenseless receiver, which is really good. Um, and there was a couple ones that we have on, like Kevin said, go on the show notes. There's tons of clips from from yeah, we, from, from, we've from got preseason preseason examples, which were good calls, questionable calls, no calls. Yeah. Um, so oh. yeah, go. We're we're really not going to reference them specifically because it's like there's too many. Yeah, to there's too many, yeah. and a lot of people listening probably haven't seen them, and we only saw them because we we were looking for them on on Twitter. So, but um, in terms of a defenseless receiver, they've given you no wiggle room, which is really which is a really good step in a positive direction. Right. It's basically ejectable if you do that to a defenseless receiver. Correct. And the biggest change with that is, and we've saw this called, and like I said, there's clips of this. Uh, last year with the defenseless receiver, you were only getting called if you made contact with the helmet, right? Whether it was head-to-head or whether it was shoulder-to-head. If as a defender, if I made contact with your helmet when you were catching a ball, it was a penalty, right? Um, so now this year they kind of added it where – okay, I don't have to make contact with your head for it to be a penalty anymore, which is a really good positive step. If I lead with my head and I hit you in the torso, in the chest, it's still a penalty because you're leading with your head. And that is a good step because that is not always avoidable, but if it's if the more defensive players get cognizant of it, the more avoidable it is. And I, I think in that example in particular, that's that's Shazier's injury right there. Like, Correct. The rule Correct. isn't in place to like – you know, make it harder for the defenders. The rules in place to protect them, yes, like and to save them from themselves. I think people need to remember that. Yes, and I and I completely agree with you on that. And it's really good from, like I said, from the defensive receiver standpoint because it takes away all of that gray area and wiggle room. If you make contact with the head, it's a penalty. If you lead with your head, it's a penalty. Um, but the bigger gray area. Um, which we've seen some penalties and, and like there's going to be an adjustment period with everyone. There'll be adjustment period with, with the refs and hopefully the longer they go calling it, the more um, they're able to see certain cues that they won't mistake or won't miss. Right. But um, so like I said, the defensive free everyone's great. It's, I think it's working very well in that aspect. It's just the really hard ones are, the ones out in open space when guys are making one-on-one tackles. Um, and it seems like at the first two weeks of the preseason, those were getting called as penalties uh, a lot also because guys lower their head. When you're going to for a collision, It's a colli- at the end of the day, it's still a collision sport. So if you see me and I see you and we're going, you're going to hit me and run me over and I'm going to tackle you, we're not going to stand straight up and bump chest. We're going to – what is the, the, the biggest – one of the biggest things in football is what is – Low man wins. Low man wins. So if, mm-hmm. if it's a one-on-one situation – you were going to, whoever, we're both going to try to get low. So when we get low, the, our heads both naturally are going to sink down. Pad level, as we said before. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, and those, uh, to me, those have been the most difficult ones for the refs to call and the most difficult ones for the players to swallow when they get called for a penalty. Um, when they see the whole thing happening and they're on it and they're just trying to make a tackle because it's it just, it's, you can't really teach a guy to tackle differently in a head-up one-on-one situation, I don't think. And teaching is is another point, right? Because, you know, as a player, I think we talked about this a little bit earlier too. Um, you know, you're you're taught to, to uh, when you're making a play on the ball, to separate the ball from the player, right? And while the NFL is trying to make things a little bit safer, it's addressing things at this uh, level, that's going to change the game from that safety aspect. 
Right. You know? And a lot of – we talked about this a lot last season uh, when it comes to defenseless players. And my argument to the defenders was always, you know, you're always taught in football to put your head to the ball, to dislodge the ball. And now with this new rule, that's no longer a valid answer to yeah. the, the players. So. Yeah. But the only issue is so, – and that's great with the defensive stuff, but, like, when, you, when you're a ball carrier – you're and you're running with the ball and you see me you're not defenseless you know mm-hmm. what i mean so that's kind of the that's the i think that's the sticking point right. that the nfl is with the rule because like you said you play you played running back that's you, a really good point you yeah. you played fullback so if you're coming through a hole and you see the safety you're not defenseless no but i would make bigger hits on offense than i did on defense <laughs> correct and like we said in the, in the in the opening and what the nfl said if you're a running back and you're coming through a hole and you lower your head to initiate contact to a defender, technically that should be called a penalty because they're trying to take that out too. Right. Um, but they, they, there was, in the show notes, there were multiple instances of running backs lowering their head um, to make contact with a defender who they're trying to run over right. and it, it, not, it not being called. But uh, I, my, I guess my big universal view on this is the NFL couldn't get away with just – um, pigeonholing the defenseless players, not just receiver, just mm-hmm. defenseless players. And that's the only time that uh, helmet contact and helmet issues are going to be flagged. So they just they took out the defenseless and they said all players. But it leaves a lot of gray area in terms of just implication of the rule and interpretation of the rule right. to me. My interpretation of the rule is basically – you got to play in control. You have to be in control of your movements. Right. You can't be flying around there and just using your body as like a torpedo. You know, like you got to break down, make a tackle, pick a side with your head. And at the end of the day, that's the safest tackle for a defender. And are you going to get run over sometimes? Yeah, you're going to get run over sometimes. But to me, you're not going to put your head and your neck in a vulnerable position ever. You'll get you'll get embarrassed a couple of times, but from what I feel like the culture that's starting to really shift, and I'm actually starting to see it. Before I was a skeptic, and I really thought that the NFL, like with their NFL Evolution and the different campaigns that they had run in the past, I was not buying it whatsoever. But there, to me, I've seen a shift. I've seen something different that I like, and I think that they're on the right path. Whatever their motives are, I don't even care because I feel like it's moving in the right direction. But to me, at the end of the day, this rule is play in control and play with fundamentals. Yeah. And and I do think that uh, playing with control is the big key. I also feel like it's control of your emotions, you know. Um, more and more we see guys just fired up and trying to make this, these plays and you know, there's a lot of trash talking being said out there, right? You know, you, you, you're going to fool yourself if you don't believe that people aren't talking about each other's mothers and all yeah, this guys other stuff to retaliate. out there, right? Yeah, yeah. and so there, there's going to be that emotional fuel that's there. And, and I, you know, to your point, Kev, I, I really do think that, that uh, you have to play with the emotional control and control in general um, of your actions. Um, and I do agree with you too. I feel like there is a paradigm shift of, of where the NFL is going and so on. Um, having, uh, started off with the, with, with, uh, teaching, uh, children how to tackle and putting out videos from the Seattle Seahawks and proper tackling techniques. And, you know, it, it looks like they're continually targeting, uh, player safety, but you know, 
not to be the devil's advocate, but do you feel like maybe that is to cover up or to change or shift the attention from other things that are going on in the league? Oh yeah, with uh, well, yeah. there's always there's always that. I mean, and we've for as long as we've done this, we've always had a kind of jaded view of the NFL and what their uh, ultimate motives are. Because at the end of the day, their ultimate motive is money above everything else. At least in my opinion, and everything else that they do publicly is just to shift towards what they think is the most acceptable to the public. And is that right or is that wrong? I. I can't say either way because right. to me like bu- business is business it yeah. just yeah. happens to be a form of entertainment yeah. with sure. guys who put you know their bodies and their livelihoods on the line every single day you know Absolutely. like and how different is that from the coal mine who the guys do the same exact thing every single day they're just not on tv doing it you know there's still right. people making money off of you know the risk that these guys take and, and women uh take on a daily basis so you can't you can't i mean that's just what how the world is in capitalism in general. Like we live in a a great country for a reason. There's a lot of great things. There's a lot of not so great things. But you know, I I like I do like what where the the direction uh, of w- w- what we're seeing here. Yeah. And I do think like going back to when we started this last year, one of the first things that I said was, um, at least from a viewing standpoint of football, like I felt like I was a lot more cognizant of second and third and fourth guys into piles, especially on running plays that are or even any play, but guys who, as you always say, chase the ball, fly to the ball, play to the whistle, all that stuff. But it yeah. got to the point where people were just throwing themselves at guys yeah. who are already down. And it seems like with this stuff, um, that is slowly starting to uh, kind of get notched back a little bit, which is a, a very positive thing, I mm, think. At least. That goes to a point of emphasis for this year uh, by the NFL, which that is the use of officials' whistle. So mm. quick whistles. We talked a lot about that a lot yeah. last year because of those types of plays. Like you could have blown the whistle, you know, a second earlier, and you would have avoided a guy torpedoing himself into a pile that you didn't need to do that. Yeah. <laughs> I just think there's there's going to be there has to be a very big acceptance of um, calls that go against for, from a fan standpoint. The, the, with at, at, at the end of the day, these rules are going to greatly benefit the game for the future. Right. But in the short term, like I think at least every fan base is going to be significantly affected negatively by calls this year that go against them. And Absolutely. I think from a, the go get you Twitter mentality, like it's going to be all over. But like I said, I think those, the percentages of calls that are going to be wrong, that negatively affect your team are going to be a lot. It's going to be a very small percentage, but based, if you just go on Twitter and look at it, it'll look like every single call was wrong. So that's, that's, that's my only fear. My, My only fear is that the NFL has such a public relations eye to it. Um, and what the fans want, as as like that's I think that's how they base a lot of their their decisions. And for the last two three years, it's been player safety, player safety, player safety. So now they're going because that paradigm yeah. shift includes the Correct. fans. Right. Correct. And and the fans for a long for the last couple of years, which is the first time it started to turn that way, was an eye towards player safety. Right. So now the NFL has started to go that way. Uh, my biggest thing to look at with this rule and the NFL in general is now if there are calls that are going to be wrong and are going to make the NFL look not the NFL, but football look like a wussified sport to a lot of people. And then now fans start to turn the other way is not against player safety, but that the NFL and the rules they have have gone too far. I would be interested to see if the NFL pushes back against it 
keeps going with the player safety and keeps going on the direction they are, or if they kind of relax the rules a little bit or relax the enforcement of the rules to appease the fans that are going to be coming with pitchforks because they should just be playing touch football. So I'm interested to see how that kind of dynamic works. I think that you really do touch on like a a great point with the fan ownership of all of this, right? Because think about the impact from other standpoints, right? So there's the new gambling rules. There's the fantasy football that we all take part in, right? And just in general viewership, right? Um, now going back and seeing the impact that you were talking about this potentially having on the game and game play and taking out, like, say a star player, you know, prime example, what if we go back two years ago and we had Josh Norman and OD, OBJ, right? Launching himself over at, 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 uh, uh, Norman, you take that out. Think about the astronomical impact from a financial standpoint from the gambling standpoint that's going to put pressure on the nfl from the standpoint of the fans themselves being you know absolutely pissed off that hey you 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 ejected the guy for for whatever reason you know what i mean i think it's going to have a huge impact i think you bring up a great point I just think they're going to get to a point where they're going to be stretched very far in both directions and it's going to be interesting to see which direction they choose to kind of let themselves gravitate towards absolutely because at the end of the day and this is what we've said since we've done it the nfl goes at least it says what the fans it says what the public wants to hear whether or not they kind of back it up is another story but at least they really they very much go towards and with every passing day the people in general and the public have a greater and greater voice just with Twitter and all the social media. So um, like I said, it'll be, it'll be interesting. And I hope for the first week that penalties get called like they should. And there's not a game deciding roughing the passer call that uh, people will be up in arms about, but I mean, eventually it's going to happen and we'll we'll go from there. But um, I'm very interested to see at least to get a first Sunday of full football where I can sit down and, Selfishly, real, real football. Yeah. <laughs> watch, watch for a day straight for yeah. nine hours and see what kind of what the game looks like with with the new rules. If it looks any different at all, right, right. So. Uh, all right, you want to move on to some uh, player reactions from this rule? Yeah, on, in the Twitter world, then I we have a, a a common or not not common or a guy who has been penalized in the past for hits on defenses receivers. Uh, uh, what's his first name? Sandejo. What's his first name? Andrew. Andrew. I was going to say Alex. Uh, Andrew Sandejo. I saw a picture on Twitter of him putting a face mask on top of his helmet. Uh, to sh- and his caption was like, oh, this will make it easier for the refs to penalize me for the new helmet rule or something because <laughs> I'll always be leading with my uh, face mask. Uh, then we got Devonta Freeman, who we talked about a lot, a lot last season. Uh in the fact that he has zero regard for his own personal well-being and he just likes to run people over. That is exactly Devontae Freeman. Yeah. I don't care. I don't want it to look anything fancy. I'm just going to truck you. That's yeah. it. And, I mean, I I used to really love guys who ran like that because I ran like that. But I see how I am today, and I know what happened to me. And I just know that it's not good for them. Yeah. Uh, but his quote was, that's the NFL rule, not my rule. So it should be more of the same from Devonta Freeman. <laughs> yeah. uh, then, of course, Richard Sherman, who always has an opinion, uh, uh, he, he said, there is no, 
there's no make adjustment to the way that you tackle. Um, even in a perfect form tackle, the body is led by the head. The rule is idiotic and should be dismissed immediately. When you watch rugby players tackle, they are still leading with their head. Uh, we'll be flag football soon. So, yeah, I mean, this is it's it's just a lot of what we talked about. I mean, he's 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 not wrong in what he says that yes, when you're going to make a tackle, your head is going to be leading your body. You can't you can't make it any other way. You know, it's just like my my favorite baseball hitting coach terminology that all guys say is stay inside the ball. Keep, keep, keep your hands inside the ball. You physically can't hit a baseball. If your hands get outside the baseball, you'd hit a ball with your forearm. Right. It does, it's not possible, but like, that's what people like to say, you know? So if, if you're going to tackle, you're going to lead with your head. You just, you have to. You can't lead with your hips and make a tackle. You know, it just doesn't exist. But I hope you have a good jock strap if that's the case. <laughs> but at the same time, um, steel for and this is just goes back to what we said. The the way the rule is written and the way way the rule is enforced, I think, are going to be slightly different things. Um, and if they if they chose to enforce the rule exactly how it's written, if you every time you lead with your head and make contact with the penalty. Yes, I uh, would agree more with his sentiment here, but that's not the way that they're going, I don't think, and based on what we've seen, it's not the way that they're going to uh, enforce it. So Okay. Then we got Kareem Martin. Uh, this is the one that I'm obviously a fan of. Yeah. Uh, how I'm taking it, they're just trying to protect us from the missile-type hits. Giants linebacker Kareem Martin said in early August, from a player safety standpoint, that's safer for everybody from the player getting hit to the player delivering the hit. And to me, that's – he understands the intention. He's not right. taking it as like an attack on his livelihood like a lot of these guys are. Correct. I think that's exactly what this rule is, you know, uh, for lesser or, or or lesser words or anything like that. That's yeah. exactly it. Be in control. Yeah. yeah. And you just got to swallow it when you do that and you get called anyway. You know, it's just it, – and those – those it's going to happen. But. Yeah, and coaches aren't going to get on the guys for happening. You know, they shouldn't get on the guys no. for making those kinds of hits unless they're like the ejectable no. kind, which are no. definitely preventable. Get on the- uh, then we got Morgan Burnett. Uh, it's a game where you have to learn and adjust on the fly. Steelers safety. Uh, our boy Josh over here, the Steelers <laughs> fan. Former Packers safety. Yes. Okay. Uh, and <laughs> I don't know. Sweet. Uh, these – the Packers always get rid of like their defensive backs. He's been hurt for a while. I guess they're not, they're not usually not very good. That's why. <laughs> well, haha, Clinton Dix. He's, he's still he's still on. Haha, he's still on the Packers. Um, he is. Yeah. I thought he got traded. Or is that no. Mike Hyde? Hyde. Yeah, he, he's on the Buffalo. Haha, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, okay, back to the Burnett <laughs> quote. Uh, he says these guys are professionals. Whatever rules they make, we'll be able to adjust. So that's another defend defensive player, you know, welcoming the rule. Uh, Then we got Malcolm Jenkins. It's really hard to get low and not have your head pointed down. Um, And this is what we talked about, the Marquise Lee thing. Like, I don't think that's a valid reason or an excuse for his ACL injury um, because the lower you get, the more you have to lead with your head. So, to me, defenders are more incentivized to – not hit at, at the knee level. Wasn't Jenkins the guy that uh, put the hit on uh, Brandon Cooks in in the Super Bowl? Yes. It? it was Jenkins, Yeah, right? I think that's why yeah. the, the, this yeah. article they asked Malcolm <laughs> Jenkins specifically because his would be an ejectable. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, and, and there and – and from the, the argument you get from the most of the defensive backs is – 
if you go as low as the knees, not that you're trying to blow a guy's knee out, but if you're going that low, you are taking 100% of the helmet contact out of play. You know what I mean? Whereas um, I think a lot of them feel like if I'm aiming for your waist or your torso a lot of times, just based on the speed of the game and how quickly things happen and how some receivers do catch and turtle and all that stuff where, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm aiming for the right spot and I'm, I think I'm, my target is the right area. And just based on how fast the game is, I end up hitting you helmet to helmet. You know what I mean? So from the defender standpoint, if I'm aiming at your shin or your knee, I'm not trying to take your, I'm not trying to blow out your ACL, but I know your head's not going to get down that low and I know I'm not going to make contact with your head. So, and I think that's, I think a lot of it, and you see it a lot more from the smaller, the corners, the smaller, the smallest guys on the field. It's just right. easier to like, how are you going to chop down a tree? Yeah, but, dude, how many times do you see a def- the small defensive back try to go for one of those tackles and they get hurled or they get sidestepped because they're sure. literally looking at the ground? Like no, you yeah, have to I... look at the ground to make a tackle like that, and it's not only putting yourself in danger, but then you're putting the offensive player in danger for his knees and stuff like that. So, to me, there's yeah, something just, I, I, I do think different teams are going to emphasize different ways. It's just from us – more from a, almost a secondary specific, but I think different teams are going to emphasize different ways of tackling, especially when it comes to the, to, to the secondary. Because I think some teams will really emphasize, all right, we're not getting called for uh, a, a defensive one, one of these helmet contact penalties. We're just not. It's 15 yards. It's too big of a it's too big of a game changing uh, position field position changing thing. So we're going to go for the, we're going to aim at the legs and we're going to take everything out from there. Right. And 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 whatever comes along with that comes along with that. Right. You know, if we get hurdled once, we get hurdled once once in a year maybe. But we're not gonna get called for any penalties from it. So I, I think I think different teams might approach it differently and from that aspect. You know what I just thought of? Who was the Saints player who missed the tackle in the what was it? NFC oh, championship yeah. game. Divisional um, game, yeah. yeah. I forget what his name was. Oh, he, was he was a rookie game? last yeah, year. He was he was rookie. Was, but think about that play. And he missed the tackle. We talked about this last year partially because maybe he was trying to not get called for a defensive uh, player hit. Yeah. And but I don't think he really knew where he was. Like, I don't think he had a he good, was looking good at sense the ground. of where he was. Yeah, he was looking at the ground. But I'm just saying, what influence would this new helmet rule have on that play, right? Like, if if you're leading with your head, like, that's a penalty, you know? Yeah. He, maybe he would have had his head up. I don't yeah. know. I'm just saying, like, yeah. it could lead – to other things yeah. in other areas of, yeah. of this of the, the game. Marcus Williams. Yeah. And I, I, I think that play was a little I don't think that play had as much to do with a, a penalty as much as it did like I, I think his first thought was I'm gonna keep him in bounds because if he goes out of bounds oh, then right. they get another play. Exactly. So I'm gonna try to swoop around him to make sure he stays inbound so he's doing the right thing. Because if he they were out of timeouts, if he tackles him in bounds the game's over. And he just kinda almost got Lost. It's a good point. That's why we keep you around, right. Josh. <laughs> I also think that he was, in many ways, when you look at the photo from it, too, it almost looks like he's trying to avoid them altogether. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, it, it is there. There was always the fear of, hey, am I going to make a, uh, am I going to upend this guy and they're going to throw a penalty on me? And then, hey, they have a first down now, you know? And another play. So, yeah. And that's that's the other thing. So tough situation for 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 this rookie, but he's going to learn. Right. Uh, okay, you want to move on to some other new rules, uh, health and safety related, uh, as we kind of wrap things up here? Yeah, I think we can probably, probably wrap it up. All so. right, so we got uh, a new kickoff rule, 
Um, I'll, you want to explain? Yeah, I'll just do this real quick, and I'll touch on the, the new college rule also that the NFL hasn't adopted and see if you think it's a good thing also. So um, the NFL changed the rule to the every every player on the kickoff team, the kick coverage team, has to be within a yard of the ball. Except for the kicker. So no obviously. running start. Yeah, the kicker's the only one that gets a running start. Um, so there's no more running start, and there's no more wedge. or the, Like, nobody on the kickoff return team can be touching each other. You know what I mean? Like, you can't have the arm like Right, no you, uh, wedge. You can't have any wedge of, yeah, any, uh, any, of, of, of any kind. So, I mean, it just kind of – it really slows down. It makes it a lot more like a punt than – I mean – than uh than than the old kickoff where they're starting from ten yards and they're getting a running start and also the 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 kick coverage team has to have um I think eight of their guys within fifteen yards of the line of scrimmage also right so the majority of the players are within fifteen yards of each other to start it's so called the setup zone yeah so there's no there's no there's no collisions whereas in the past like the kickoff the kickoff return team could have five guys inside the twenty. Um, and now they're just setting up and bracing for impact, and they're going up and making contact too. Um, so they're kind of they're all they're all together to start. So whereas like a punt, everyone's running down together. It's kind of how they they're they're trying to frame the kickoff. So now with the kickoff, everyone's almost running down together, and they're going from there. Um, so question is, will Bill Belichick figure still, out a way to <laughs> blast? It this also open? said until the ball is touched or it hits the ground, no player on either receiving or kicking team may block within the 15-yard area from the kicking team's restraining line. Yeah. So it's so it's it's basically, and that's so the so the receiving team can't run forward as soon as the ball's kicked. So it's 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 making everybody run down the field together. Right. Um. So you talk about the the Belichick thing. So college changed the rule this year. I don't know if you've watched any college games this week. So college changed the rule where. So the NFL moved up the touchback to the 25-yard line. College did the same thing. So college this year also said if you fair catch a kickoff anywhere inside the 25-yard line, you take the ball to the 25. What? So like if I'm at the five, if I'm if I'm uh, I'm the kickoff returner and I'm at the 5-yard line and I call a fair catch, unlike a punt where if I call a fair catch at the 5, I get it where, where I get it where, where I you caught catch it. it. Yeah. In college this year, if you call a fair catch anywhere on the field inside the 25, the ball automatically goes to the 25 yard line. So that's like, so the Belichick pooch kind of yeah. to the sideline to the five yard Wouldn't line. Wouldn't be to sky the ball. You just, you just, I mean, if, if the yeah. players are smart enough to call a fair catch, then it's just like kicking it out of the end zone. So, huh. I mean, it, it's, they're doing everything that they can to incentivize touchbacks. Safety. Yeah, right. Touchbacks. The, 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 the NCAA has been under yeah. a lot of fire the yeah. last couple of weeks too for their health, health yeah. and safety so, no uh, contact issues at all. too. And I, and cause I think there would be a really, I think there would be a big groundswell from everybody, players, fans, if they completely took the kickoff out of the game. So it's, they're doing everything they can to keep it in the game. Um, but give every incentive to have it be a, a, a nothing play. Okay. But, uh, and there's also the defenseless player now includes a quarterback. Yeah, this is going to be uh, this is this is going to be the uh, one where it's going to be tough for a lot of fans, I think, because there's going to be a lot of calls where there's going to be a roughing the passer call that in the past would never have been a roughing the passer call, and people are going to freak out about it because it's uh, it's not going to be very much contact, and it's not going to be what I think you typically associate roughing the passer with. Um, so, and that's going to happen, and it's kind of a mad a matter of um, to what lengths that they go to call that. So. Also, uh, it's, it's basically you can't drive them into the ground anymore. Yeah, you have it, to like wrap and roll or 
It's very it's it's a very good rule to say and talk about. Um, I'll just be interested to see how it's actually enforced. What they call, what they don't call. I'm wondering if the rap and roll actually leads to a bunch of other lower extremity injuries. You know what I mean? Yeah, a lot of getting, ankles, especially and, with the yeah, get, getting your foot caught in the turf, and with bigger guys, David uh, Carr injury. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, that type of stuff, and with some bigger guys like Cam or yeah. Roethlisberger that. You don't tackle. <laughs> yeah, you're not getting them <laughs> yeah, down like that. You, yeah. you don't tackle them, which is another a whole other issue. But uh, okay, just wrapping up with the points of emphasis that the NFL is uh, trying to emphasize this year. Uh, that's illegal contact and other acts downfield, protection of runners who give themselves up, um, protection of quarterbacks, and the use of officials' whistle. Um, which we mentioned a little earlier. And I just wanted to finish this episode off kind of talking a little bit about what we mentioned before about how the NFL, in my eyes, has really made a huge step forward when it comes to player safety in this particular offseason. Obviously, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out in the season. Um, But they have a new initiative called Way to Play. And it's really trying to – they're almost taking an approach – Similar to the NHL, we talked about this last season too, how the NHL is very transparent with uh, the dirty hits, quote-unquote, that they have in the league and how they find the players and stuff like that, and they have video breakdowns. It's it's like The NFL is doing the exact same thing now. We talked about it on the podcast last year. Maybe they were, li- maybe they were they listening. They could be listening. Yep. <laughs> we, uh, we referenced this all, and we said that they need to get on board. So. Right. And now they're actually o- awarding players who present like the right way to play with the right way of tackling techniques and stuff like that in the games um, with equipment grants that they can give out to any school that they want to um, in their area. Uh, then, so whoever took over the NFL's PR should get a huge raise because to me, and I talked about this last year too, it the, what the NFL lacked in their previous initiatives was ownership. They never once took ownership, and they they tended to pawn it off to USA Football and made it their problem to fix. But this year, it's it definitely changed in that they owned the problem. They know it's a problem, and they're not shying away from it. They're taking actionable steps to make it better and to make it safer, and that's what I love to see. So, no, it's a great initiative. I mean, I mean especially giving those grants out to to uh, some of the schools in need and, and things of that nature I, I think it's i think it's wonderful all right it'll be a great addition for us too when they're putting up the hits and explaining why and what and right when. Yeah. so if, if hopefully they hopefully they do it and they do a decent amount of it but yeah and uh for anyone listening i definitely recommend following nfl operations on twitter because they put a lot of these videos out and explanations out um constantly putting out you know great content that really helps us and makes it easier for us to talk about. Um, so I'm excited for this upcoming season. We definitely have a, a year of experience on the belt. We're excited to have uh, Dr. Waz on the podcast as well. Excited and, to be here, fellas. Yeah, bringing excited his insight here. in. It would definitely be really cool to talk about these different injuries that last year we were like, uh, well, uh, Wikipedia <laughs> said that it's really bad. So um, so it's cool that we have a more professional uh, stance. Waz's voice also adds a very easy listening quality to the podcast, I feel like. Well, I appreciate this, yeah. gentlemen. I mean, I hope you guys are taking me to dinner after this. I mean, <laughs> after those words. Frozen pizza. <laughs> That's all you get. Best thing ever. All right. Sounds good, guys.